Um, we're going to kick off the third session of four now. Four. Uh, 24, 4 to 8. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines on earth Famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 9. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You were all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Luke. Session three. When the hearing aids go off, you can go and have lunch, all right? (laughs) Ah, Some funny things happen, I can tell you. I was in a church up in McLean years and years ago. We were doing crusade and they'd send us out to um, this little Baptist church on the island of, of Lawrence. And uh, we get there on the Sunday morning and the church is sparkling in the sunlight. I mean, it's all been painted outside and all this sort of thing. And they take me aside and they say, Mark, um, whatever you do, don't lean against the back wall. And I go, okay, why? And they said, well, the painter's running a bit behind and the pastor, he won't have anything done on Sundays whatsoever, but the painter's been in this morning and finished it, painted the back wall and it's still wet. And he never knew to this day. Right? So we had a wet wall behind us for the whole of the morning and then there was a guy, very quickly, um, called Norm Nix, he was Minister for Evangelism in the Baptist Union and he was telling me a story one day, he was preaching up at Alstonville in the Baptist Church and they've got a baptistry like Baptists do, okay, nice and low like this and, and he was preaching away and, and he walked backwards and caught him there and tipped him into the baptistry which was empty so he didn't make a splash as he went down but he said, I sat on the floor in the baptistry, Mark, and I thought... How am I going to get out of this? So he said, I climbed up and I looked over the edge at the congregation and not one person had moved. They just (laughs) sat there. He said, and I had to climb out of it and get up behind the pulpit and start preaching again. That's a true story. Amazing, isn't it? Okay, session three, we're doing nine events which lead to the tribulation. And... uh, once my hearing aids start ringing, you can all go, but until then, you're stuck. 
Can I just say to you that one of the things that one of the things that God told me years ago when I first went in the ministry was, I want I want you to challenge your people to discover my word. If you're if you're preaching or you're teaching, and you think something's a little bit controversial, but you know I'm telling you to say it, then go ahead and say it. Um, because what I want people to do is go back to the Word and learn. And I want to say to you that God is no longer where he was at the beginning of this year. He's moved and his revelation is increasing because his revelation never ends. My, my dad followed this all the days of his life till he died at 92 before the millennium. But when we gave him the book by Hal Lindsey, Late Great Planet Earth, in 1972... He read the thing and said, I'm absolutely amazed. I didn't know half of this. You see, because the revelation that they had 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 only gone so far. But God's revealing it. And a lot of the things that we're looking at today, you go back that far, nobody would have a clue. Who would have ever thought in 1967 that Jerusalem split between the Jordanians, East Jerusalem, Jordanian, West Jerusalem, the Jews, would suddenly in one day be reunited and I can still see the photos, and I was only, well, I was very young back in 1967, let me tell you. Extremely young. You may not believe that, but it's true. And I'm sticking with that story. But, but who would have thought that that could happen? And I can still see the photos of, of the Jewish soldiers standing at the Wailing Wall that they had been refused entrance to for 2,000 years, weeping, soldiers weeping with machine guns and things slung over their shoulders, praying at the wall like they prayed because they hadn't been there for 2,000 years. Who would have ever thought that could happen? Who would have ever thought in 1897 Herzl could have a, a, a conference, a little seminar, like wasn't even as big as this, in, in Switzerland, and, and out of that comes this nation born again in one day. Did you know Australia was the second nation in the United Nations to vote yes for Israel? Australia's, Australia's involvement with Israel is huge. We, all the way through, this great south land of the Holy Spirit has, has had a, an, a thing going with Israel. When Israel came to the United Nations in 1947, Doc Evatt, remember Doc Evatt? Doc Evatt was the, was the chairman of the Security Council and pushed it like crazy. Australia, you know, when Saddam Hussein in his last war with the Americans and was before he was taken out and they were doing shock and awe, I think that George Bush was doing, it was the Australians on bikes, the SAS, driving through taking out the Scud missiles that he had aimed at Jerusalem before they put the other troops in. Australia, right? Revelations going on all around us and, and you've got to open your mind, you've got to... Seven times Jesus said when he was here on the earth, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? But then he gets to write Revelation with John and he says to each of those seven churches, all the way through that whole period of those seven churches, to Ephesus, Sardis, Philadelphia, even down to Laodicea, and the same message is on the back end of every one of them. And I think it's significant. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let me put it another way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the bride. Because if you go to Revelation 22, it says the Spirit and the bride say, come. 
That's you and me saying, Jesus, come. Maranatha, come. Because this is key. Jesus is not, you know, Jesus won't come back unless, I believe anyway, I won't, won't come back and we pray him back. Simeon. Simeon spent years in the temple because he was told by God that he wouldn't taste death till he saw the Lord's Messiah. And Mary and Joseph bring Jesus up on the eighth day to the temple to dedicate him. And Simeon walks into the temple and goes, Now, Lord, let me depart in peace. Luke 2, let me depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. Because he'd been told. And then Anna, the prophetess who's been a widow for 84 years, comes in and stands there and goes, That's the Messiah. Two people, everything in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Right? That's the Messiah, this baby, and they know it's the Messiah. Magi, coming from out of what was Iran and out that way now, comes in and says, where is he? We've seen his star and we followed his star and here we are, where is he? And poor old Herod, who had no idea, saying to the Magi, come and tell me where he's staying so I can go and kill him. And God says to the Magi, go somewhere else, and they heard him. Right? And they went a different way. So Herod killed everybody except Jesus because the angel said to Joseph, take your, take your wife and Jesus and go to Egypt and hide till Herod's dead. God does amazing things. And he's doing amazing things in our day. Anyway, Thessalonians 4, which we saw. We'll just have a look at that and uh, work our way through that. And then we're going back to, and you can stick your finger in here if you want to, uh, I want to deal with a couple of passages of Scripture. One's Daniel chapter 9. <laughs> Everybody says not Daniel chapter 9. Well, I could tell you stories about Daniel chapter 9 too and the 70 weeks, but we won't. Um, and, and things like um, the other one is Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we have to look at. Okay, So 1 Thessalonians 4. I don't want you to be ignorant, verse 37, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you in sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. He says, by this I say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Come over the page to chapter 5. Verse 1, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. This is being written 2,000 years ago. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that's when Jesus comes back, will come as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, this is you he's talking to, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. All right? And we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be vigilant. That's what God's calling us to do. So let's have a look at this. Nine key events leading to the tribulation. Some of the first three have actually happened. Uh, six are to go, but let's deal with it. So go with me to Daniel chapter 9 to start with. So if you find Isaiah and then you get Jeremiah, Ezekiel, come in and find Daniel. But Daniel chapter 9. Now Daniel's chapter 9, I'm going to give you an overview of Daniel chapter 9 because this becomes quite a complicated passage. It talks about the 70 weeks which are allocated or decreed for the nation of Israel. 
So I'm going to give you Daniel in four parts because it's very easy. So in the first three verses we read that 70 weeks have been decreed. In the first year of Darius the son of Aharushis, the lineage of the Medes who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, that's Babylon, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years for the desolations of Jerusalem. Israel went into a captivity in 586 BC under Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years. And what had happened is Daniel had searched. And Daniel's not all done chronologically, okay? It jumps around. But understand this. He's gone and he's looked at the prophet Jeremiah. And he's discovered that God told Jeremiah and Jeremiah told the people, Israel will go into captivity for 70 years. And Daniel, who's been there for many, many decades leading, has come and he's discovered this book, which has been sent down because Jeremiah obviously wrote it after Jerusalem had fallen and they've sent it down to where they all are. And he's discovered that the time for Israel's captivity is at an end. They're going back home. And Cyrus, who follows on, he decreed that they should go back and, and build the temple. And then Artaxerxes comes along and he decrees they should go back and rebuild Jerusalem, which had all been destroyed. And you have So in one sense you have the book of Ezra. If you understand Ezra, who brought the law back into the exiles who were returning to their land. The next book you have is Nehemiah, that we all talk about leadership, because Nehemiah got everybody together and built the wall in 52 days. That's not the point. The point is he went back and he rebuilt the wall and then he rebuilt the city. And you'll see it in the second part. So in the first three verses, I'm not going to read them to you, just goes down there and, and he's told by the prophet Jeremiah that 70 years is up and it's time to move back. So they start going back. In verses 4 to 19, Daniel discovers that or intercedes if I can put it that way, he intercedes in a prayer and he prays this prayer for Israel. It's what we do when we get a word from the Lord. We, we tend to hear the word from the Lord and then we go to prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But we stand, what Daniel did and what we often do in many cases is we start to confess all the sin. Right? So we go from 4 through to 19 and Daniel's praying over the nation and Lord restore the nation and the prayer's a really good prayer and we've sinned and we don't deserve to go back but you've said your word we will go back so we will go back so you know come and do this. And then in verse 20 of Daniel 9, Gabriel turns up and while I was speaking, praying and confessing, verse 20, my sin and the sin of my people, see this is his prayer, Lord I'm a sinner and the people are sinners, please help us. Right, So he's confessing that and presenting my supplication before the Lord, saying to him, well, the 70 years is up, what's going to happen? For the, for the, um, before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. And while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And they're making that offering in the afternoon. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you understanding. So here's the understanding. At the beginning of your supplication or your prayers, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Listen to this. Seventy weeks are determined. Now understand, because I need to explain to you that that 
we have wrongly translated that in English. It's not weeks, it's actually years, and most everybody accepts that, okay? It's, it's not called, in the Jewish, it's not called weeks, it's called time, which refers to a year, okay? Seventy weeks or seventy years are determined for your people and for the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now know and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks and the street will be built again and the wall, Nehemiah, right, even in troublesome times. Sam Ballot was a pain in the proverbial who tried to stop the work but he couldn't. And after so, seven weeks, right, Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks comes after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself, for us. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, that's the devil and the, the pagans, and the end shall be with a flood of wars and desolations. Then, verse 27, he will confirm a covenant for many for one week. And in the middle of the week, that's seven seven. In the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of abominations, and the consummation is determined and poured out on the desolate. So here's your 70 weeks, and you can see it down there. So the 70 years, seven weeks to rebuild Jerusalem, 49 years it took when Artaxerxes made that decree in 445 BC. Okay? Then there were 62 weeks, and then Messiah was cut off. You know what that means? It means he died. Okay? He was killed. Okay? He was cut off. Then there's an interval, which is the time of the Gentiles, which we are still in, and there's a one-week tribulation or seven years until Jesus returns. That's what the story is, okay? So Sir Robert Anderson, on the next slide, who was Assistant Police Commissioner in London and actually tried to find the um, guy, the Ripper, Jack the Ripper, he sat down, he was a, a very intelligent Christian man, he sat down and he calculated the number of the days, the Jewish Jewish year is 360 days, and the 70 weeks or years using the Jewish, using the Jewish year of 60, 360 days. From the decree by King Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem in 445 BC, and the Bible gives a specific day and the specific month of that year, okay? So we know specifically. So he worked it through and he came down and calculated the timing to the very day when Jesus entered the Temple of Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. A lot of people think it was when he was cut off he went to the cross. No, it was when Israel rejected him as a Messiah. What happened? He sent his disciples to get a donkey. He came riding on a donkey because prophecy said your Messiah, your, your Saviour will come riding on a donkey. They got the donkey. The man said to them, what do you want the donkey for? He said, the master has need of it. He said, take it. And he came riding in on a donkey and the people spread their cloaks and their palm leaves down as he wound down from the top of the Mount of Olives coming down all the way down through the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. And they all cried, Hallelujah, glory. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is how they called in the, the kings in Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? And I think we've already read something this morning where Jesus said, you will not see me again till you cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Comes in the name of the Lord. And everybody's saying, this is it. We're coming. The kingdom, the kingdom, which is all the Jews thought about was the kingdom, which they still haven't got, is going to come. And here he comes. And he comes in and the leadership 
Under Caiaphas, the high priest and the others determined that this has gone too far and so they go to Pilate to have him crucified. And by around the end of that week, he's gone from being hailed as the king to being nailed to a tree, right? And Sir Robert Anderson came through, the book's called The Coming Prince, came through and actually calculated and discovered it was the exact day that that first Palm Sunday took place. So God, God's not slack. Everything's got a time, you know? It says in Exodus, Israel came out of captivity. The prophecy was 400 years they were being captivity. So they did 30 years under Joseph and then Joseph, the, the Pharaoh died and Joseph, they were, and Joseph and they cut off and they went to spend 400 years as slaves. The day they came out, Exodus says they came out on the day, listen to this, the very day. Not the week, not the month, the very day. And what they discovered with that first Palm Sunday was Robert Anderson said that. And most commentators, majority commentators, simply say he's got it right. Okay? Interesting? So let me tell you about the wars. The first one I want to tell you about of the nine is Europe's endless war. That's a shot of um, Kiev at the moment. Um, Europe's endless war started in 1914. You remember in the last session we talked about the fact that nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and that is a Jewish idiom for world war, catastrophe world war. So here's the endless war. World War I began when the heir of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Archduke Ferdinand, was assassinated in Serbia, in Sarajevo, in the capital of Serbia in 1914. Three years prior... And this, I want you to think about this, prior Serbia, seeing the decline of the Ottoman Empire, which was Turkey, annexed two, two countries. One was called Bosnia and one was called Herzegovina in 1911. And it is listed as one of the things that began the World War, Europe's war to end all wars, Bosnia and Herzegovina. What happened in the 1990s? We have the Balkans War, Serbia fighting with... Bosnia and Herzegovina. So what started in 1911 is still running in the 1990s. Okay? And even today, they've got trouble with car plates, registration plates. So if you haven't got the right registration plates, you're coming out of Bosnia to going into Serbia, they won't let you in until you pay your registration in their country. And there's a major war coming out of that. And you get Srebrenica where they, they murdered seven, 8,000 Muslim men and young men back in the 1990s, and the United Nations is still in there trying to keep peace, and it's ready to blow apart. So let me just read this to you. In the 1990s, uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Empire, we've got this war, a century apart. Christians and Muslims involved in one of the most brutal ethnic cleansing that took place with thousands killed and buried in mass graves. There is an increasing awareness that the war to end all wars, which is what they call, call World War I, that we know as that, was just the beginning of a major worldwide conflict which is still taking place up to this very day. So look at the dates. 1914 to 18, World War I, 20 million dead. 1919 to 39, the rise of Nazi Germany and the rise of Hitler. World War II, 1939 to 45, 60 million dead. Cold War against East and West from 1945 to 1989. Mikhail Gorbachev pulls down the wall. Mr President, tear down this wall. 
said Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, and they did. So that Cold War. In 1991, we have the collapse of the USSR, and when the USSR collapsed and the, the uh, borders opened, they discovered 70 million Muslims living in there down in, in the cars in Azerbaijan and Turkmenistan and all those... Uzbekistan and all those, 70 million Muslims that nobody knew was there. And because they got set free, where they'd been locked up, they started to move, and that was part of the rise of terrorism that we've got across the world now. The war's still going on. Uh, in right up in 2022 to, to, and still going on, we have Russia invading Ukraine. So what have we got? A 100-plus-year war, and it's still going on. You understand? So that's the first thing, and that's taken place. The second is what we've talked about already, that Israel is re-established. You see Israel down there, the little white bit, this tiny little nation? If you see an old map of the world, you'll find that they say Asia, Africa, and Europe, and in the middle is Jerusalem. So if you want to get out of Africa into Asia, you've got to come up through that pathway, the King's Highway it was called, up through there. If you want to get out of Africa and go into, Jerusalem, into Europe, you've got to come up through the King's Highway, which goes past Jerusalem. If you want to come out of Asia and get into Europe, you've got to come through. It's the bridge. And Jesus put Israel there, not because they were the biggest or the most powerful, but because he chose a people that he wanted the world to see and to know about who would show the world how to live under the, the guidance and dominion of God. But of course, Israel failed in that. And so 44 times Jerusalem has been sacked by different armies going through. 44 times, just smashed at the smithereens. Okay? Why am I taking the time with this? Because it's important. And, and these things are going on. The second thing that's happening is that, that, as I'm saying, Israel became a nation in 1948 against all odds, and it's still there. In 1967, we've talked about that, Jerusalem was reunited. Okay. It's totally under Jewish control. So three have been done, six are to come. We're just trying to get through this with a bit of movement because we're running out of time. The first three are chronological. The next six may not be. Okay. So I want you to take your Bibles and go to Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I'll read some of this through to you as we go through. Ezekiel happens before Daniel if you're looking for it. This event, you saw the, the video at the beginning of the day. You saw the Ayatollah from Iran and you saw Putin from Russia and you saw um, Erdogan from Turkey. Three big nations, and each of them is referred to in Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. Okay, And the end product of these and others, including Libya, Ethiopia, and a couple of other nations, which we'll read through, is, is that they enter into Israel on the mountains to try and take control. So two things that you should know. The path that they're coming in is the Golan Heights. And you can stand the Golan Heights and you can look into Syria and you can see what's going on. If you remember that video, the Ayatollah is saying, we have to support Syria, Assad in Syria. They want to re-establish him as a powerful force. China already has a port there and, a, and an air base. 
army base in Syria and they continue to work in it. Do you know that Russia and Israel actually have an agreement that if Israel is going to bomb something in Russia, they tell uh, in Syria they tell the Russians so that the Russians don't react and if Russia is going to bomb something in Syria that they don't like, they tell the Israelis so that they don't react. How are you stupid? But that's what goes on. So, Ezekiel 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. Now this is, he quotes who he is. The prince of Rosh. So Gog is the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against him. So Gog is the leader of the coalition. Magog is the land of Gog and may be rightly simply said the place of Gog. The prince of Rosh is the chief prince. Meshach. Meshech is a Syrian south of Goma in the central, and Tubal is the Assyrian south of Bestulmara in Asia Minor. And say, so, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. So people look at that and go, Well, that's Vladimir Putin. Well, it may be and it may not be. But can I tell you something about Russia and Vladimir Putin? Vladimir Putin is on a, on a religious crusade. The Catholic Church split and became east and west. The west was based in Rome, the east was based in Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. The east, they, they divided, Ian, ex-Catholic, um, but now he's a Christian, I think. No, I shouldn't say that because I've got some lovely friends who are Catholics, but we do wonder about Ian from time to time. They divided and they split for one simple reason. So one lot went, what were they, Ian? Left to right or right to left? Uh, he doesn't know. See? <laughs> left to right. The east, the east, oh yeah, Vara knows because she came from that land of Magog. <laughs> the east split with them because they went right to left. So everything is on the, that. Which way you go determines which side you're in. Isn't that crazy? Okay. So in 1453, Constantinople, Istanbul, is taken over by the Ottomans and destroyed. And Hagia Sophia, the greatest church in Christendom, is turned into a mosque. And they blew the blue mosque. And people, what happened to the metropolitan and all the religious leaders of the Eastern religion when the Muslims came through, the Eastern part of the Roman Empire. Guess where they went? Moscow. So by, from 1453 to the early 1500s, is calling itself the Third Rome. And Putin, as much as you, you want to say anything about him, Putin believes, I've got a photo somewhere, I think it's on my phone, of Putin with his head resting on the metropolitan of, of Moscow's chest while he's being blessed because he believes that he's on a religious warfare. The West has become corrupt and I'm going to re-establish what we had. Are you aware that the Ukraine capital, Kiev, used to be the capital of Russia? Till they moved it to Moscow? Think about this, people. 
We're not talking about modern history. We're talking about history that took place five or six hundred years ago, and the and the ramifications of what they've done are still going on. So we have this in Ezekiel thirty-eight. Let's just push through it because otherwise we'll run out of time. I will turn you around, verse four of thirty-eight. Put hooks into your jaws and lead you out. That's exactly what's happened. All your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, or Sudan and Ethiopia, and Libya, know where Libya is, don't you? Ready to blow up again, they're wanting to have a civil war. All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his troops, the house of Gomorrah from the far north, Siberia and his troops, many people with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered with about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. Let's go to 39. Verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord of God, Behold, the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and lead you on. So if in the 38 he's drawing him out now he's turning him around and he's leading him on bringing you up from the far north and bringing you against the mountains of Israel then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand and you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you and I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured and you shall fall in the open field for I have spoken says the Lord and I will send fire on Magog Russia and on those who live in security in the coastlands but they will know that I am the Lord so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore God's redeeming Israel right those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons both the shields and the bucklers the bows and the arrows the javelins the spears and they will make fires with them for seven years seven years Funny that, tribulation seven years. And they will not take wood from the field nor cut down from the forest because they will make fire with the weapons and they will plunder those who plunder them and pillage those who pillage them. And in that day, I just let me read, this Gog will have a burial place in Israel, <laughs> a valley, and those who pass by east of it, the sea, it will obstruct travellers because they will, they, they will bury Gog and all his multitude and they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. And for seven months, so seven years to burn the weapons, for seven months the house of Israel will be burying them, the people, the soldiers, in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed and they go and he goes down and talks about it. So what's he prophesying? He's prophesying that Russia and these troops are going to come out of the outermost parts of the north. They've got hooks in their mouths and in their jaws and they're drawn out and they have been drawn out. They're into, into Ukraine at the moment, Right? But then you go to 39 because there seems to be a pause between it and then they come, they're drawn down or on to the mountains of Israel and there God, God deals with Gog and Magog. Now, fascinating stuff. The Goans were, or the Gaons were highly respected, highly in, uh, understood religious leaders in Israel. They were in different spots. And um, the Art Scroll series commentary on Israel and this sort of thing is very well received. So the, the Gaon of Vilnius in Lithuania made this statement. Listen to it. 
This is a statement from a Jewish leader, right? Way back, not now, but back. Once Russia's navy passes through the Bosphorus, that's past Istanbul, right? Once Russia's navy passes through the Bosphorus on the way to the Dardanelles, Gallipoli, it will be time to put on your Sabbath clothes in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. You want me to read it again? Once Russia's navy passes through the Bosphorus, down the side of Istanbul, on the way to the Dardanelles, it will be time to put on Sabbath clothes in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. Just like we used to say, but we don't do it now, put on your Sunday best to go to church. Well, the Jews are putting on their Sabbath clothes to go to synagogue. Okay, When that happens... Get your clothes ready because the Messiah is coming. Make of it what you will. The next one is one world government. Daniel 23 talks about it. The fifth key leading to the tribulation is the establishment of a one world government. We'll deal with this in session four. But we know from Daniel that there will be four world empires, the last being Rome, which would endure until it devoured the whole earth, according to Daniel 7.23. Rome did not conquer the whole world in its day, but Rome Mark I did establish an empire of imperialism which was totally different to any of the previous empires which came. So the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire were all different and they were different in this way. They would allow the people from the nations that they conquered to basically govern themselves under the authority of the conquering nation. When Rome arrived, none of that happened. They just took over control. Right? And they established what was called imperialism. And that's the nation that Rome Mark II that's coming back will be an imperial thing. So this imperialism came through and they changed it. And I could go and show you about the two legs and the you know, the, the ten toes and made of uh, iron and clay and all that sort of thing. But that's where your split came in and that was back in three ninety five AD between the East and the West. And then in 1453, they came through and took the East out. The Muslims did, and so that all moved up. Okay, So just simply say that this split in power gives the formation that's going to lead one day to the founding of the thing. Look at this. This is, if you're bored, you don't have to look. But if you're not, this is, I don't see whether you can see it. It's hard to see. That's Israel. So we've got Magog up here, which points to Russia and the outermost parts of the North Togomar coming down, um, Meshach, Goma coming out of Europe, right? Over there on the right, coming out of Asia. We've got Libya, Put, Ethiopia, and down here are the things like Saudi Arabia, and they're all coming into there. That's where the nations are coming in to attack the mountains of Israel. They want them. Why do they want them? They want the oil. They want the gas. Putin's just shut the gas off. He's just shutting all one down. He won't open it. It says it's leaking. We've got to fix it so you can't have any gas in Europe. And Europe responds by saying, well, we're going to put a limit on the amount of money that we're going to pay for your gas. That was the best response they had. And he's gone, well, if you're not paying my price, you're not getting it. That's just sheer economics. 
So what happens? What they're pushing for is the establishment of a one-world government, and they, they've been working on that and working on that and working on that and, and trying to get through. Then we come down here. Let me just go quickly. There's a ten-kingdom confederation. Daniel 9.24 says, As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise. So what will it look like? It seems that the ten kingdoms cover the whole world. What I was saying to you before is Rome never covered the whole world. Bithynia and other nations, they never got, they never got hold of. right? But when they come in the second form, Rome Mark II, they're going to cover the whole world. You've got to stop thinking... And this is where the European Union gets it wrong. You've got to stop thinking about this as being localised, say, in Europe. The gospel's preached to the whole world. Jesus is coming back for people everywhere in the world. You've got to start thinking globally if you want to understand what's going on. It's not just a Middle East issue. It's a worldwide issue. And to form a one-world government, they have to do it. So in 1973, an organisation called the Club of Rome... You got the next slide, Ian? An organisation called... Uh, no, next one. Next one. No, back, back, back. Go back one. Back one. It's not there, it's in the next one. Okay. Can't wait, can you? In 1973, the Club of Rome had a little meeting. I'll show you this, I've got a little... Not anymore, I haven't. Yes, I have. They divided the world. They divided the world into ten economic zones. Australia's number four with New Zealand and South Africa. Do we really want to be linked with New Zealand and South Africa? Anyway, we are. All right? So Russia Russia's become number five. Africa's become Six apart, time's up. Okay. Oh, dear me. Go away. So they've divided the world already into ten zones. And yet the Bible prophesies that one world government, there's going to be ten kings arise. And then the Antichrist is going to come up the little horn of Daniel 9. And he's going to subdue seven of those, uh, three of those and leave seven. And he's going to become the world leader. So we're having, we're having a one-world government. We're having a Ting Kingdom Confederation. We'll talk about this a little bit more after lunch. And then we're having a one-world leader, which is actually the Antichrist who will rise up and come out. And I would have to say to you that he's probably on his way, if things are, are to be right. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, Three, unless the apostasy or falling away comes first and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition, calls him everything, doesn't he? Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship and takes his seat in the temple of God. How is the Antichrist revealed? It's not stated, but his rise to power is a necessity because the tribulation begins when Israel signs a seven-year treaty with the Antichrist for peace. And halfway through that tribulation, time, times and half a time, three and a half years, he then says to them, well, I'm breaking the treaty and I'm taking over your temple, which you've rebuilt, the third temple, which is not built out of faith, it's built out of, out of agro. Um, and I'm going to put my own image in there and my own image is going to be able to talk and speak 
just like a hologram. All right? And you're going to worship that because I'm now God. That's what the Antichrist does. So by that stage, he's totally demon-possessed over the whole thing. So then we reach a stage where that covenant is made, and if you're, if that is actually, I think, I believe, where the church goes at that point of time, comes out before that or when that treaty is made. So if you see that, you'll know that Jesus is pretty close because the church is not going to go through that. The Bible doesn't teach that. So then we have a period of false peace, the beginning or leading up to the signing of the treaty with Israel and the beginning of the tribulation is a time of peace and they go around and they go, peace, peace, and yet there is no peace. So peace and safety are there and everybody's talking about it, but the world's now under the control of those ten kingdoms and you can see that in the hands with all the maps of the world stuck on it and then this seven-year treaty. So we come through to that. So they are the nine seven-year treaty covenant with Israel is the ninth thing. It establishes the Antichrist credentials on the world of his diplomatic efforts and they tend to come in line. It's also a time or earlier that Israel builds her third temple and this is where the Antichrist at the three-and-a-half-year period puts an effigy of himself and says, I'm the God of all the earth. Jesus stated in Matthew 24, 15 regarding the abomination of desolation as spoken by Daniel the prophet and he said, when you see that, get out. Go, flee. Don't go and get your clothes. Don't go and empty your house. Don't sell your house. Don't do anything. Just flee. And I'll show you where they flee to in the next session. So here we are. Nine steps to the tribulation. Three done. Six either taking place or about to take place or in train to come to pass. And then we come through to that and then... We get the tribulation, the church is gone, and then at the end of the tribulation, seven years, we have the Armageddon, which I've entitled The Climax of All Ages, and we will deal with that and the campaign of Armageddon after lunch. All right? Now, I know, let me say this, after lunch is the graveyard session, all right? <laughs> if you're preaching in a conference, you never accept that spot. So I'm determined to make lunch very late next time and just do four and send you home. But stay and have some lunch. Luke will sort you out on that. And um, hope you brought your own. If you haven't, uh, think about the loaves and, two, loaves and fishes, all right? And go and see if somebody will give you some help. Thanks, Luke. <laughs>